We're approaching another baseball season, which is always an exciting time in St. Louis, and uh, you definitely feel the excitement of my guest today, Mr. Benjamin Hockman, sports columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. You can find find him in the paper, his columns, uh, really interesting reads. He always he always leaves it all on the page there, puts his heart and soul down on in his writing, and uh, just always... It's always amazing to uh, to talk with people who are so passionate about their craft. He has a he has a book coming out soon. Uh, I believe there you can order the uh, a pre copy or pre release on Amazon. It's called The Big Fifty, St. Louis Cardinals: uh, The Men and Moments That Made St. Louis, and uh, it just looks really interesting. Ben talks. Uh, he gives a bunch of stories. Talked to Rex Hudler, one of you know, one of my favorites, and uh, talked to many other sports fans and former Cardinals players to capture these moments, and it's just a really exciting project, passion project of his. So I uh, definitely recommend checking that out if you are a, a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals or baseball in general. I really enjoyed his story from the uh, 2011 World Series. Uh, you know, that uh, St. Louis fans know just uh, the big moment that David Freeze broke out and he was a hero of that of that October postseason. And um, yeah, Ben, just, he gives a great telling of the triple that David Freeze hit in game six. And then we talk a little bit about the home run that went on to win it. And it's just it's just really exciting. As always, want to thank Dr. Mark Holland. You can find his information on the uh, on the show page. First Capital Chiropractic for those of you in St. Charles and then other locations throughout the St. Louis area and, and can't thank Dr. Holland enough for his support. Also, I uh, want to thank my friends Christy and Tom Holman, who have just been great friends and uh, who have, uh, you know, just always supported my voice through uh, podcast and, and my video work. So can't thank them enough. Tom is a huge Cardinals fan, so we'll have to, uh, you know, have to get a, get a book for him and uh, he can relive some of those great Cardinals memories. Uh, also want to thank Songbird Cafe. Steve St. Cyr puts on a great show, really passionate about music, singer-songwriters, Americana. Check out his website. Uh, it'll be on the show page. Find out when he has upcoming shows. Also wanted to give a plug to my uh, to my friend Shane Presley. He reached out asking if I would uh, let everyone know about a show he has on March 16th. So if you go to his website, rockpaperpodcast.com, you can find out more about that. And, uh, you know, starting the show out, I, I was, you know, really, I was trying to find a baseball song and, uh, you know, nothing really came to mind. And as as Javier Mendoza Hobo Kane is, um, you know, is somebody that I'm promoting here because I, I really believe in his music and, and the energy. I just decided to go with something that that had a lot of great energy and uh, picked his song Crazy Ride. So that's a that's a classic Javier Mendoza song. And I think it's fitting for my guest today, Mr. Ben Hockman. So, as always, I'm Ken Calcaterra, and I appreciate you listening to the show. And uh, all you baseball fans out there, uh, upcoming show, we have a panel. I always enjoy the the theme episodes because uh, it gets a chance to bring a bunch of different voices to the table. This one features my friend, artist Stephen Walden, who you've heard before a few times on the podcast. Steve Flowers, who is part of... Two Birds on a Bat. It's a, a podcast featuring Benji Molina, another 
conversations with Calcaterra alum and just uh, an amazing baseball mind and you know former player. Uh, Two Birds on the Bat, you can find that on Google Play as well. It's a, a fun listen. Jeff Ritter, who you've heard on, on the podcast here before on a couple of themed episodes, and Pat Minnett, who's a, a good friend uh, good friend of mine's mother, who's a friend as well, and who was one of my English teachers in high school. So she is a huge Cardinals fan, and I'm, I'm really excited to uh, have her as part of the panel. So that one's going to be coming up soon, so check that out. Look for those. You can find past episodes of the podcast on KenCalcaterra.com. You can go to SoundCloud. You can go to iTunes. It's on Google Play, Stitcher, just wherever you look for podcasts. Google it, Conversations with Calcaterra. Reach out to me on social media. One thing uh, I forgot to ask Ben, he uh, he's a big Will Ferrell movie fan, and I, I didn't get a chance. Uh, we were talking so much on baseball and really enthralled with that conversation that uh, wasn't able to you know find out what his favorite Will Ferrell movie is. So we'll have to reach out to him on social media and continue that conversation or may have to have a you know have a movie theme podcast have him back again so as always thank you to Javier Mendoza for allowing uh, his music to be used here on the podcast and I like I said I really love to promote friends who are doing great things and that's uh, part of what this podcast is about so check him out hobocane.com and one more time kencalcaterra.com for me thank you for listening here he is Mr. Benjamin Hockman so Ben, what were you feeling uh, that day, that fateful day, when you received the the call from the St. Louis Post Dispatch? Well, I was at dinner in Chicago with my sister and my parents. My sister lives out there, and a three one four number popped up on my phone. I'm like, wow, I wonder if this has to do with Bernie Miklas's job. You know, my my idol Bernie was leaving the paper to be a radio host, and and you know, I was a columnist in Denver for the Denver Post. I'd kind of gotten word back home that I'd be interested in the job, and sure enough, I'm like, wow. I, I bet this is it. So I stepped away from dinner, and it was the you know the, no- the noisiest restaurant in Chicago. You know, five stars for noise. I mean, it was the noisiest place ever. So I went into the bathroom, thinking that was like the only like quiet place. And like it was for a minute, I answered the phone. It was Roger Hensley, the Post Dispatch sports editor, and we're talking. And then all of a sudden, like some guy comes in to wash his hands, and he's like, you hear this. <laughs> You know, he's drying his hands and there's a flush and like it's somehow all of a sudden it's the busiest bathroom in North America and and, the guy, and Roger's like is this a bad time you want me to call him? no this is the perfect time this is the perfect time I can just barely hear you that's all and uh, luckily uh, I didn't hang up on him he didn't hang up on me we continued the conversation and next thing I know I was wearing my best suit and sitting down for an interview in St. Louis what's well, great also when it's your mentor that you're replacing so they know like you're yeah, you're you're one of those free agents they're looking for. Yeah, so it's it's a little better than if you're just a guy like, all right, let me call them. They don't know anything about you, and then you're in that situation like this guy. Exactly. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we can hire this clown. Right, right, right. And I'm sure people still to this day wonder why they hired this clown. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean. Bernie McLeish was always so amazing to me as a as a teenager. I'd send him AOL instant messages and 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 emails, and we we would talk journalism occasionally. And of course, Derek Gould at the Post Dispatch has always been a good friend of mine. And uh, some of the Mike Smith, one of the editors there, I'd always known. So you're right. I had these these connections there. Uh, so I wasn't just some guy from Denver. I was some guy from Denver that liked toasted ravioli. Right on. Right on. And it's, it's good, this that passion for sports writing. And I guess it goes to show, especially in this day and age of the internet, 
uh, just reach out because you never know who is going to be receptive to those questions. And I think most people are, you know, I, I personally, if somebody asks me a question about my craft or something like that, I get a charge from from answering and sharing that knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I, I well, I'd say this. My job is amazing because it's called sports writer. And think about the two words that are combined. That two of my favorite things, sports and writing. It would be, as, I, as I've joked to a friend before, if there was a job called cheeseburger eating Will Ferrell movie watchinger. Like if that was a job, like, you know, that, two, that would be your job. That would be your dream job. Well, no, I think it it's, I think it's equal to sports oh, writer. Okay, it's gotcha, like these are four gotcha. four things I love. You know, sports, writing, watching Will Ferrell movies, yeah. and and eating cheeseburgers. Yeah. And the fact that there's an actual job in the real world that that combines two of these passions is, is so great. So I, I love talking about writing styles, uh, the creative process, the uh, banging your head against the wall process the, of writer's block, and uh, and that amazing feeling of somehow escaping the grips of the uh, defensive end that is writer's block trying to sack you. Well, how do you keep it fresh? Because I know I've talked to my friend Steve Zesh, who, uh, you know, put together a Cardinals magazine, and in the past, it's, it's sports. I mean, there's all these little stories, but then again, when you're writing every day, it's it's the game and this and that. How do you go about personally keeping that fresh? Or, or what is sure. fresh in your eyes? Because you're going to see it maybe different than myself or other readers or other writers. Yeah. The cool thing about columnists is I have a lot of um, – I guess, flexibility. So one day I could go to a Cardinal game and I could just let them have it. I could just, you know, spew my venom onto my screen in, in 900 words and say how frustrated I am uh, like the fans are at the base running or the fielding or, or, or the management of the bullpen or what have you. But the very next day I could be like, all right, I'm in the mood to tell a story and I'm talking to a player about uh, something personal in his life that he's dealt with but persevered over, if you will, and uh, and suddenly I've got a story on my hands that no one knows, and I'm able to share that. And uh, and th- and then the next day again, it could be ah oh, the base running. Are you kidding me with this? <laughs> there aren't they like little league kids know how to run the bases better? You know that type of thing. But I'm I'm always what I'm getting at is I'm I'm always looking for uh, a different way to approach the day's topic because I, I've said this when I when I speak to students a lot at, at, at Mizzou, my alma mater, or, or at high schools here in town, I'll say, like, look, if we go to the Cardinal game, game ends, you've got an hour. If we gave a, a laptop to all 40,000 people, some of those people would probably be able to write a pretty good little piece, right? What they saw, what they think about the Cardinals. And so it's up to me and, and the guys and girls in the press box who are actually being paid to do this, who have a responsibility to their readership to like work harder, if you will, think outside of the box, think harder, uh, report harder, do everything you can. So when you read the Post-Dispatch or go to the website, you're like, I'm glad I just spent three minutes on that. Not like, ugh, another one of those. And, and there's there's a big difference between that, I, I, I would say. And when did you first get bit by the baseball bug? Or when, when did you fall in love with the game? Because I think I'm safe to say that you love you're, you love the game of baseball. I do. And I, I will say that I love it maybe differently than some of the modern fans. Um, and what I'm getting at is, so to answer your question, you know, single-digit ages, you, you know, my, my dad... Uh, Dr. Jerry Hockman, he's an educator here in, in St. Louis, and uh, of course my father, and, and he loves baseball, but he's not like, 
how he's not the stats guy. He's not the sabermetrics guy. He's not. Oh my gosh, with runners in scoring position, this that. He <laughs> he just loves the beauty of the game, the history of the game, uh, the the stories that make the, the Cardinals of the game. Yes. There's so many nuances in baseball. Totally, it's a perfect word for it. And and he of course passed that down to me and my sister Emily. And so I I like you can hopefully see that infused in a lot of my writing. But what I've I continually try to grow as a thinker of, of statistics. And, and there, it's almost like there's two different ways to look at baseball, like the beautiful pastoral, historic, colorful, um, you know, chalked lines and, and, and rosin and, and the whole thing, baseball. And then there's war and, and on-base percentage and OPS and, and VORP and things you've never heard of that and launch angle and exit velocity and the things that, that, I, that you can identify as, as uh, key parts of today's game that we didn't even have as kids, but they're right now, like there are nine year olds and 11 year olds who aren't trading baseball cards there. Instead they're, they're swimming on, uh, on websites getting lost in statistics. Cause, mm-hmm. cause that's, that's their thing. And it's, it's the modern game. So what I'm rambling about is I, I try to be both guys, but I was definitely raised as, as the former, as the guy mm-hmm. who, who loves the storytelling aspect yeah, yeah. of baseball. And I think nowadays you have to look at both sides of that. So even though there's all this data these days, that how is that guy, you know, he may have all those numbers, but how does he react in the clubhouse? Right. Is this guy a poison in the clubhouse? Is it somebody that brings the rest of the team up? Because it's just yeah. amazing how one personality that's off can just throw the whole team, you know, just out of whack. Sure. And uh, I think about all the time, like when I was in, in, in college, I won't say the guy's name. I'm sure he's a uh, regular listener to the podcast, or if he is, he would be mad if I said his name. Uh, Derek was his name. No, just kidding. Uh, 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 but anyway. Another, it rhymes yeah, with rhymes Eric. With, no, this guy from the fraternity at the University of Missouri, we would all be in the meetings, right? And uh, we, we'd be like the chapter meetings. And someone says, we should do this with this sorority, and we should do this with this. And, 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 and he would always go, that sounds dumb. We're like, no, but like, let's try it. Let's try. He's yeah, like, yeah. he's like, that seems like too much to do. And he would just, you know, always, he'd be the anchor and just like bring it down. And I, I'm bringing up this dumb reference to my fraternity because even in clubhouses in the major leagues, there are guys like that who have these loud, strong personalities and whose negativity can permeate. And it's and it's bad, and we and we've seen it a lot in sports. We've seen it in St. Louis sports over the years. And you're you're right. Like the guy could hit 40 home runs, but if he you know leads the leads the league in negativity, that 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 might affect yeah, the yeah. outcome of some games. And, and you're looking at right now. We have maybe I don't know if it's a record, but there's there's quite uh, there's a lot of free agents still out there. Yeah. And you're wondering, and you you hear you like I listen to some podcasts and whatnot. And you hear like, okay, maybe the Cubs know what's going on with Jake Arrieta. Maybe there's something they mm-hmm. know that nobody else knows. Uh, same with Lance Lynn. Sure. So these are guys that are solid guys, but you know they're not signed. You know, maybe it's people want to get the discount because, and not so much the discount in in uh, salary per se, but just the years. Now the years these guys are demanding. Oh, man. And I can't blame the owners if you get stuck seven years for a guy that breaks down in two years. You know, I don't know the right. you know, the intricacies of the contract or anything, but mm-hmm. that's yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a tough one to tough investment to make, I would think. I'll tell you man, like you look at the St. Louis Cardinals and they're a key example of 
I mean, I, I don't want to overdo it like the modern thinking, but mm-hmm. you're talking about how Jake Arrieta is still available on, on March, whatever today is, and, and, and Lance Lynn and some other key free agent pitchers are available. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the thing is, um, a lot of these teams are saying, look, we could spend $70 million on these pitchers, or, and but what are we paying for? Are we paying exactly, for the yeah. 2015 Jake Arrieta? Yeah, yeah. Or are we, or you know, baseball? An executive once told me uh, that it's you're in the predictions game. Um, basically, your your whole life as someone in the front office or a scout or what have you is is to predict the future uh, as as best you can. And clearly, as we're seeing those trying to predict the future in the Cardinals organization, and we'll see how it pans out, are looking at Jack Flaherty or looking at Luke Weaver or, of course, looking at Alex Reyes and saying, wow, the ceiling on these guys in the next four years for just $500,000 each is well worth, in their eyes, Mm -hmm. uh, seeing it through with them as opposed to throwing big money at somebody who's on the wrong side of 30. And and I think that's been the the model of the Cardinals for a while, at least the past five years that I can remember, is is bringing up that younger talent and taking a chance on these guys and seeing what they have. I mean, I think they're really, uh, I don't know if I'd say ingrained, but I mean, they're really, their model is to develop these farm guys and bring guys up from within. I mean, maybe it's a George Kissel approach, (laughs) you know, the whole Cardinal way thing. Sure. The one, and terrible pun intended, curveball of this whole thing is that, if some things had gone a little differently, we wouldn't be speaking of that narrative. To be it, to, to for instance, I mean, you look at the fact that they offered, I think it was two hundred twenty-five million dollars to pitcher David Price. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, they got outbid by by Boston, but I mean, I mean, they 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 started stitching his jersey. You know, they had the P and the R. They they were ready to go with this thing. They thought he was theirs. And if they had gotten them, you know, right now, we wouldn't be necessarily saying that, that oh, they just simply developed pitchers. Like, oh, they paid for Well, they also offered, you know, I mm-hmm. believe the Arch and the Brewery to Giancarlo Stanton, and he turned it down. Of course, he's with the Yankees now, but a couple moments there in, in history, whereas, yeah, of course, the Cardinals are de- draft, develop, draft, develop, maximize uh, prospects. But, yeah, there were a few times there they, they were ready to splurge, and you know, maybe the narrative would have been different if the player had bit. Oh, definitely. And I, I think, you know, back in when I was in college, uh, I worked up in the press box, just uh, just meal ticket guy. It was a great job when I was going to school. At, at Bush? Yeah, yeah, at, at the old Bush. Wait, I want to hear about this. So what, like how, what, what era are we talking about? Uh, this was what I started there in, uh, was it, uh, I think it was 97. Okay. 97, and I did that through, I think, 2001, maybe. And you were, you were the meal ticket? <laughs> yeah, it was great. So, so I was an usher back in high school, and then uh, one of my cousins, he was an usher as well. And then he he knew some people down there, and then he had that job. Okay. And it was just like the press comes in and gives you like seven bucks or whatever sure. it is, and you give them this little ticket, and they grab a meal. But where and did so, you watch the game? So after the game, I, I worked until the third inning, and oh. then I could go do whatever. Come so on, just roam the ballpark? It was kind of cool. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so my <laughs> friend, like I said, I mentioned Steve Zesh of the Cardinals magazine, so he and I would, would check out some games in his seats, nice. and just other people I knew, and I just met so many writers and, cool. and media-type people then, so it was great. And one of the, I, who I thought was one of the coolest people, uh, Mo Zalek. Mo was, 
he was always wanted to, you know, take some time out and just chat with me. Oh, and wow. so that was, you know, when he was an assistant, his early days, but I always admired Mo and thought he was a pretty smart guy. Yeah, no And question. just looking at it, I think they're, they're definitely calculated with that as you should be. Uh, I think they're, you know, they want to get the most bang for their buck and, and will reach out for a price or a, a Stanton. Although I think Ozuna is probably just from everything I've been reading and hearing is probably the right fit for the team, especially with his his background and his friendship with Tavares. And I, sure. I think there's some, we talk about that personal side of the yeah. story. And he wants to, I, I think he is probably a guy that wants to honor his late friend. Yeah. And so then there's that extra pride and that extra energy that's going to go into it. And I think, uh, yeah, I think he's just the right fit. Yeah. I, I think he may... With that kind of energy, he may have a you know just even bigger breakout season than he had a few years ago. Sure, sure. There's and there there's some symmetry to the story, some synergy to the story. Uh, he of course is close friends with Carlos Martinez. That too, yeah. And uh, and then he another aspect to you know the, the the poignancy of life is he was teammates with and best friends with Jose Fernandez who died um, with with the Marlins yeah. I believe in 16 and and now he's coming to a club you mentioned Oscar Tavares a team that's forever affected by the loss of one of their own and Oz- Ozuna is really fascinating I was down there at spring training for 15 16 days earlier uh, in the in the spring and right it's it was it was really cool watching him right away be like the alpha male in the clubhouse. And we, we talked about that earlier in this podcast about how for every home run and, and you know, on, on base percentage thing, there is, you know, the incalculable, that's, is that even a word? Incalculable. Um, that sounds good. Incalculable. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'll go for it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if, if not, let's, we'll put it in the dictionary. Yeah. yeah. So, some, somewhere it's being on some, somewhere someone is transcribing this and it's being, uh, underlined red that word. I just exactly. Used. But, um, this, this incalculable, uh, I guess, aura and uh, clubhouse, you know, factor that he is. And right away he's in there and he's like a magnet, you know, everyone's kind of turned towards him. Alex Reyes, Yadier Molina, Tommy Pham, of course, Carlos Martinez. Um, they had a lot of music playing, and and it, it's just it was just a very new dynamic to the clubhouse that I hadn't seen in the past couple of years. That's great, and we need that, especially the last couple of years, no playoffs. And, right, yeah, right. So I like that. I like the sound of this. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, and here's the other thing about Ozuna is he. You could argue that he's getting better. You know, some people will look at his stats and be like, "Oh, he might have he might have peaked last season." Um, but I think I think the optimist says this is a guy who can be an MVP candidate. So, yeah, I mean, you know, is, is there wood around here? Let's knock on some wood. I mean, we're not going to jinx the guy, but hopefully he will be the the, the cleanup hitter uh, that St. Louis yearned for, and they need everything they can do to catch the Cubs. Definitely the Cubs. I mean, they're they're stacked. Those Cubs. <laughs> It'll be interesting. I like the rivalries, and it's it's yeah. always interesting stories. And then you have our division. You know, talking yeah. about modern baseball. Then you have the Brewers who just right. who just added a bunch. And then I hear that that the Reds with their young guys could be a formidable opponent. Sure. So yeah, the Central Division and the National League is is exciting. Yeah, no question yeah. about it. Wait, real quick, you. I'm fascinated because you were there in the late '90s, like right around McGuire. Yeah, yeah. So, like, were you in the stadium for a 60-second home run? So that one, I, I was there for 61, okay. and then I had a class the night for 62, and I was so focused on on school that I, I skipped it. 
You skipped the game. I skipped the game, and so went to my class, and uh, yeah, I hit the sixty second home run. No, I'm not trying to commandeer your podcast here, but I'm no, kind no, of commandeering your podcast because as a journalist, I'm fascinated. So, Cardinals fan in class. Yeah, yeah. So, how did you? And this is 1998. You know, no, no smartphones or whatever when did you do you recall when you found out that he had hit 67 i think it was driving home because i listened to cam wax a lot and yeah. uh, you know heard it then driving home it was kind of like one of those oh <laughs> i mean you never know is he gonna hit it or not and it was one of these eight week classes so you can't oh, you yeah. can't miss you miss one you're you, yeah so far back so did you pass the class yeah oh yeah i think i had an a it was a philosophy class it oh was, good uh, yeah it was great that should have been something to discuss in the philosophy class i philosophy think philosophy of skipping think, school I think for we something. might have yeah and I think my professor I think was like what are you doing man why didn't you why didn't you go there I was like hey you know what I'm, I'm focused on what I'm doing here hey I respect um, that but then you know then there was a uh, some press conferences and then because the, I worked my job was within the media relations uh, department so then I was able to stand in on some of those and so the coolest one was uh when McGuire was hitting 500 and uh, more so because Tony Gwynn was in town, and he had just either hit or was going to hit th- uh, 3,000. Yeah, yeah, I remember him being on that quest. And uh, Gwynn ended up not getting it in St. Louis, and he ended up getting it, his 3,000 hit, in Montreal. Montreal, there, there's yeah. more people. There's more people inside your home right now yeah. than were inside the stadium in Montreal to see this iconic hitter hit his 3,000th hit. Uh, but I remember I, was, I would come up from Mizzou for, the, for those games. I remember that because it was such a, a confluence of history yeah. going on uh, right, right in front of our eyes. Which that was exciting. And then you look at these stories. So you look at Tony Gwynn is on the wasn't he on the cusp in 94 of hitting 400 oh my god yeah. and so yeah no that hadn't been done in a while and here's this here's this guy that's not the picturesque athlete um and it just says <laughs> he can hit the ball and you know he's just tearing it up and it's like wow this guy's gonna hit 400 and then they strike yeah. and you're just like oh what's up? oh i mean i mean the what ifs in yeah. sports history I mean, we could do a whole separate podcast in a fun way just about like the what ifs and <laughs> and uh, i believe he finished with 394 and and i angela is my wife she and i went to uh san diego for our honeymoon there's a beer local beer of course called 394 uh, and it's you know Tony Gwynn homage that's beer. That's amazing. And uh, you know it's good. It it, it it's a tasty beverage. Yeah. You know you kind of it's 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 in the three nineties range. It's mm-hmm. not a four hundred, if you will, beer. Yeah. But it's a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a strike strike shortened what if beer. No, I. But uh, it's yeah. crazy. I mean three ninety four is monstrous. Right. Yeah. But it's not four hundred. So it's kind of like eh, he was flirting with it. And it's, it's funny, right? With sports, even just like with with hundred miles per hour, like the idea of like hitting triple digits, mm-hmm. like like if I. I, if I could throw 99, like you would be impressed. But if I could throw 100, you know, just one mile per hour faster, you you know, you, suddenly you're the hottest prospect in baseball. One mile per hour difference. Exactly. It was like at one point, uh, Ozzie Smith is like the first million dollar player. Right. And right. now a million dollars is nothing. Yeah. I mean, I think who was Bat it? boys make or that. I, I, I keep hearing like, oh, maybe we should get Mustakis for a year. Maybe he'll, you know, solidify third base and let's give him like 25 million, you know, it's <laughs> right. just a drop in the bucket, like $25 right. million. Dollars. For a pillow contract. That's yeah. That's pretty amazing. But looking back, you know, speaking of Ozzie Smith and looking, uh, Looking back, what is your, I guess, favorite Cardinal memory? Do you have just one? That's impossible. Well, I mean, I, I, what's a couple? What's yeah? What stands well, out in your mind? I, it's. I mean, all right. Let me try that again because it's got to be the. It's got to be David Freeze. It's got to be that game. Um, 
I, I was I was in the last row of the bleachers for Game Six. Uh, my gosh, I mean, and from my angle of the triple, he hits it, and this thing is floating, and I I so I'm watching the the outfielder, and suddenly I lose him, and I can't see the outfielder. I can't, I can't see anything, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, all these hands go up. But I don't know if that's for are, are those Rangers fans who just are celebrating. Uh-huh. You know. It was, it was all happening so fast. Yeah, yeah. Or is it Cardinals? Or So basically, did he catch the ball? Is it a home run? Or the third option, he didn't catch the ball, and it's rolling away. And so I'll never forget mm-hmm. spotting the ball and just screaming like a like – a, I was like a three-year-old. Like, there's the ball! And, and Drew Green was standing next to me, my buddy, and, and we're just <laughs> watching this thing. Just the idea of seeing that ball loose – free meant that the game uh, was still going on, of course. And was it rolling in the grassy area there, or did it I, fall back onto the field? I, I, yeah, I, I believe so. I'm, now I'm talking about the triple. I, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. The triple, and, and that, uh, so it had, I think, bounced off the wall, okay. off the golf ad, and rolled uh, back onto the grass on the field so I could spot it. Basically, okay, gotcha. Basically saying, all right, that, that ball was not caught. The World Series is still going on. Yeah, yeah. And there's David sliding in the third, kneeling on third, looking up at his mom in the stands. What a moment. Then yeah. the home run okay. a few innings later. Yeah. And, I mean, again, like – St. Louis, like the, we, especially in a Twitter world, our fans complain every day about something. There is frustration with Matheny. There's frustration with this guy and that guy and the way they're fielding and throwing. And, and if the Cardinals don't go 162 and 0 and win each of those games by at least three runs, uh, there is there is <laughs> room for improvement in yeah, our no town. Doubt. But I but and that 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 is our fans for better or worse. But man. These same fans should be able to take a deep breath and make, wow, I got mm-hmm. to experience 2011. I got to experience 2006, 82, whatever, yeah. whatever it was. And you think about the you in San Diego. You think about the you in Seattle, in most, in many other teams, cities, teams, uh, cities with teams where, where it's like they just never got to win at all. They never got to experience it. They care about their team similarly to the way you do. Um, St. Louis is has a lot of issues, but it is a blessed city when it comes to baseball. No doubt. And, and just the enthusiasm of you talking about that play. <laughs> and that, to me, I think the triple is one of the most exciting plays in baseball. Because you, you don't know how it's going to play out. A home run, you know it's a home run. Yeah. cheers, but a triple, I think, keeps you on the edge of your seat. Like, is he going to... Are they going to throw him out? Is sure. he going to make it in there? And it's always that, usually that slide in. And it's just... <laughs> It's just, you know, that guy is hustling like crazy and it's just turning on the afterburners. And to me, I think that's the most exciting. Well, there's a, you should look this up. There's a great piece um, in from Sports Illustrated. They, they do the Sports Illustrated Vault. It's one, it's one of my favorite websites. It's uh, si.com slash vault. And it's every article ever from Sports Illustrated. And, uh, and of course, as a writer, that was a big deal. You know, other kids are, are, are trying to get their hands on Playboy magazines. I'm trying to get my hands on Sports Illustrated to read, literally to read the articles. And, uh, um, and uh, there was one piece written by, I believe his name is Roy Blunt Jr., and uh, he wrote about the triple. I think it was called like the, the 10 most exciting moments, seconds in, yeah. in sports, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was a whole story, the longest story ever, all about the triple and it, and like and you you summed it up there like you know the guy hits it well and you know he gets a single no problem gets a double no problem but when when it when he's going for a triple and he and he turns it up there there's suddenly like this like like 
there's questions like, can he make it? Does he have enough energy? You know, he's, he's risking it now. He had the double for sure. Mm-hmm. The double was his good to go, but now he's a gambler and he's going for third and he's betting on himself. He's betting on the throw being bad. He's betting on his third base coach. He's betting on the weather. And it's, it's just this all of a sudden, uh, an easy double turns into this most exhilarating nerve wracking, uh, 90 extra feet as a player goes in the third base. And, uh, and of course it always ends up, it's with some sort of like um like a plum if you will there's dust flying and and somebody's mad and somebody's happy and everyone's dirty and uh the, you're right the, the triple the triple gets me going <laughs> no doubt and and talking about questions looking at any writing you know there's dramatic writing and you know questions always always create that element is that something you use in your columns you know as far as as a writer yeah i mean i'm i'm if I never try to settle on anything, I'm always trying to, to challenge myself to think outside the box, to write something that's never been written before, um, whether it's telling a, a story or a type of story that's never been written. Uh, I mean, the, the piece I'm probably most proud of in St. Louis was uh, finding uh, the story of Jake Bain, who's a high school star running back for John Burroughs, and he's out of the closet. And I was so proud to tell his story. I mean, how often or, or, the, or really how mm-hmm. seldom do you read about an athlete who is out of the closet uh, playing sports at a high level in, in, if you will, like an air quotes, masculine sport, like, mm-hmm. a, like a football, basketball, yeah, yeah. baseball. And, and so, so there, there's something I always wanted to do, and I was able to tell that story. And um, I was proud of it. And uh, same thing, just like always trying to question what's out there, try to cook up something that just is, is different. Cause like, I mean, I hate to say anybody could do it, but like many people could do it, right? Give them a laptop and an hour and, and, and a couple bucks and, and they could write you something nice. So it's up to us to, to really step up our games or else why are we even, why are we even doing this? No doubt. And in talking about Cardinals moments, um, that's one thing that you have have accumulated and gathered, <laughs> and some some various stories on Cardinals moments. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm really excited to at some point. Tell us about your book. Yeah, this is this is a, a passion project, a uh, love letter to St. Louis. I, I wrote a book called The Big Fifty, uh, St. Louis Cardinals, the, the men and moments that made the Cardinals. It's it's basically fifty chapters and. I made sure to write a book that hadn't been written before. Uh, and there's so many fantastic Cardinal books out there with stories you've heard and, and such. So with each chapter, I tried to just write something new and fresh and different about the people we adore. Um, whether it was interviewing a, um, a circus acrobat expert about Ozzie Smith. So a, a kid that, that is a great angle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, I and, love it. and then there's so many celebrities that, that grew up here. For instance, the, um, I mean, Jenna Fisher from The Office, I uh-huh. talked to her. John Hamm shared the story about Game 6. So he, he was on set, you know, dressed as Don Draper, and they're, they're on set, and then, then they're running back to the trailer to catch an inning. And uh, Jay Ferguson, uh, one of the actors, uh, played Stan Rizzo. He was a Rangers fan from Dallas. And so they're in their outfits from the 60s talking trash. I mean, I love stuff like that this. That is fantastic. And, you know, there's 50 chapters of this uh, with, with, with different stories, uh, different emotions. And I, I, I didn't. I, of course, I interviewed Mike Shannon. You know, I interviewed Ozzie and Willie, and like the standard people you would want interviewed in these books. But I also tried to bring new, fresh voices uh, to talk about the Cardinals, and uh, and I'm I'm pretty darn happy about it. 
That sounds really cool. Uh, lo- looking at that, so how did you bring in those new fresh voices? We, you kind of just asking them, hey, what is your favorite Cardinal moment or who's your who's your guy, who's the player that, that you, you followed? Things like that, and then seeing what they threw out, or did you have anything in mind, or did you know John Hamm was – you know, game six, this was right. a moment. How did you go about researching or, or pulling that from them? Sure, each 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 one was a little different. Like, for instance, I knew um, that, so I like Hamilton a lot, the the musical oh, yeah, Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, I was fortunate to see the, the original cast, and I knew that the gentleman named Christopher Jackson, who played George Washington, is, is from uh, uh, Cairo, Illinois, or maybe it's Cairo, Illinois, uh, since all places named after some a famous yeah, place yeah. is are not pronounced, I, th- I think that it may way. be Cairo. Yeah, yeah, like, like Versailles, <laughs> yeah, Missouri, exactly. and, 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 and and what have you. Um, so I I knew that he was from the area and a Cardinals fan. So once I was able to get him on the phone, I didn't know exactly where we were going with this, but I knew he would have some passion. I always I'll tell you this: like, no matter where you are or who you're talking to, you could be with you know, President Trump or President Obama or like the most, you know, the most important people on the planet or, or whomever. Everybody has the player they loved growing up. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. And my point is, whether you're with the President of the United States or anybody powerful or anybody, if you start talking about your childhood baseball player, you know, we're all nine years old all of a sudden. You know, it really it really brings you back and 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 I mean you could probably see me just smiling as I'm sitting here telling telling stories about the Cardinals because it's just it just brings you to a special spot regardless of how successful you are or how powerful you are. So with this gentleman who you know Christopher Jackson, you know, famed Tony Award winning actor, you know, I get him going about Ozzy Smith and he can't stop talking about how he used to be in the front yard and he would try to do the flip and his buddy was right there and he, you know they're talking trash who can do it and then they're on the road trip coming up to St. Louis and they wanted to do the trifecta of St. Louis which was Six Flags, a Cardinals game and the Riverboat McDonald's. He's like that he's like <laughs> yeah. that was heaven to me if nice. I could do those three. And, you know, yeah, so so I would try to do that with people as I as I was interviewing them and, and getting them going. And and for, for instance also we talk about thinking outside the box or writing outside the box is like how how can I capture Yachty or Molina? You know, how how can I capture how revered he is? Well, how about I interview a Cubs fan uh, who hates the Cardinals? But even he can admit that Yadier is pretty dang good and and represents baseball the right way. You know, just again, just trying to take take things that that we know and write about them in a different way using different voices. That's fantastic. When does when does the book come out? Well, you can buy it online now. Oh, it's uh, out now. Okay. Yeah, you can get right. buy it online Amazon.com. Just type in the Big Fifty Cardinals. The Big Fifty Cardinals. It'll be in bookstores. Uh, the the pub date is May first. Okay. Uh, it'll be trickling into bookstores prior to that, but definitely on May first, May Day. Uh, the Big Fifty Cardinals. Right on, man. Right on. So, who was your favorite uh, favorite Cardinal growing up? Well, I this is interesting because so. As I became an adult and lived in New Orleans and then Denver, um, people would always say like, "Oh, you're from St. Louis. You're you know, you're blessed with great baseball your whole life." Blah blah. Uh, so I'm I was born in 1980. My first like years of like understand first year of understanding baseball is 1987. I'm bringing this up because basically from 88, so I was age eight until. 1996, age 16, they sucked. 
They were ter- they're yeah, terrible guys. But some bad baseball. So my whole childhood, just like the way the the way the math lines up, like I didn't have the standard St. Louis childhood. We were like blessed with greatness. I mean, I had Ozzy. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, there was a lot of Tom Bernanski, a lot of Felix Jose, and and uh, um, Todd Zeal was supposed to be the savior. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff. So I I actually kind of learned to suffer a little bit. Uh, so I didn't really have. I mean, Ozzy, but I hate to say by default was my favorite player. Um, but I I didn't really have like. I guess it was Ozzy. Limited choices, yeah. yeah limited Maybe choices. Jose Okendo. I mean, he was like yes. he was a guy that I really liked. So uh, he wasn't the marquee guy, right. but the secret weapon, man. And it's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, the secret weapon was fantastic. And and in in this town, something cool about the fans is that they recognize who cares on the team. Like like you can just tell that Jose Okendo cares about being a St. Louis car, about wearing the birds on the bat. And same with Willie McGee, of course, who I, I wrote a whole chapter in the book about the phenomenon of Willie McGee and how someone who's not even in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown could arguably be the most beloved Cardinal um, of his era. Definitely. And, I mean, I mean, he's in the Cardinals Hall of Fame. He's a great player, of yeah, course, yeah. MVP, the whole thing. But, he's, but I mean, if, if, he, if he walked into a bar and Ozzy walked into the bar the, the next night, it's possible that the bar would, would be more uproarious for the sight of number 51. I think so, and he was such a quiet, humble guy. Yeah, and and that's one of the cool things. So that job that I had at one point, I forget what I was doing. There was something after the game, so I'd help out on different things, especially sure. when it was really busy. And usually, I'd kind of keep to myself, be very professional. I was in the <laughs> Navy at one point, so oh, wow. you know, I could, you know, do that. Just be very, just super professional. Maybe overly, gotcha. you know, so like having no fun. Right. But one thing, so the year that Willie McGee was going to retire, maybe that was the deal because mm-hmm. um, I don't know if it was postseason, but that was just one moment and I just walked up to Willie McGee and I said, thank you for so many memories. Wow. And I just kind of had to break out and like, all yeah. right, if I get in trouble, I don't know if right. I'm going to get in trouble or whatnot, if that's what, but I, this is something I had to do. And what a moment. And it felt so good. That's and he cool. Just, and he was so humble, like, hey, man, thank you. And it's so cool to see him coming back as a coach this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. So that's fantastic. Yeah, there, there's a one in the Willie McGee chapter in the Big 50 Cardinals. I, I interviewed an old player that not a lot of people remember the name of, David Howard. And oh, he, yeah, yeah. He's kind of there. You know, he played for a couple of years for the Cardinals in, in the late 90s. So he was teammates with Willie. Their lockers were near each other. And um, he went up to Willie after the final game. Uh, in I believe it was 1999, said like, "Hey, is there something I can like have of yours just to like take? You know, I, I you know, I revere you. You're one of the best teammates I ever had. You know, he's thinking he could get like, like honestly, like an autographed ball, yeah, yeah. maybe." Willie gives him the game worn jersey from Willie's final game and just gives it to this guy. He's like, "Willie, man, like." <laughs> Like this is a little much. He's like, no, I respect you as a teammate. You and that's Willie McGee. Yeah. That, that's why shirt off his back, literally. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I think having him and Okendo this year back, or I, Willie's never coached in the major leagues, but having right. Okendo back and having Willie for the first time, with, yeah, with just his everything he's done in the minor leagues and can, and spring training and all that. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of these players are going to be so much better players yeah. than they would have been without. So no question. And 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 uh, I've, I've gotten to know Tommy Pham a little bit, and Tommy speaks he's so highly. Yeah, he's intense. Uh, I love his passion. He speaks uh, so highly of Willie McGee. Maybe you've heard the story or not, but Willie was a roving instructor in the minor leagues, and he basically gave a forlorn Tommy Pham some motivation. Like, I think you're a big league ball player. And to hear that from Willie, uh, who of course was an all-star and an MVP and, and everything like that, and then and then moreover, just a revered 
you know, thinker of the game who was telling that to young Tommy Pham. Tommy took that to heart, and you know, we the baseball writers uh, give out the Baseball Man of the Year award every year, and uh, Tommy won it last year, and for St. Louis, it's for St. Louis, and Tommy won it, and at his speech, he he brought up Willie McGee, pretty cool. That's awesome. I know another one of my favorite players was uh, Rex Hudler. Oh. <laughs> I interviewed him for the book. Those scrappy oh, guys. Man. Man, those are the kind of guys that people in St. Louis love. Well, here, here's a story for you that, right. that's in the book. Um, did I mention I wrote a book? Uh, so, um, the, he, the Big 50? The Big 50. The Big 50, yeah, right. big 50 yeah. <laughs> Amazon.com. Uh, that's right. And I need to get these one of those show links. I have to figure that out where and use my show code. Oh, yes. I haven't figured that out yet. All yeah. right, back to your story. Right, right. Um, you can just make up one that's silly, and then people <laughs> yeah, well, are like, I've typed in the show code. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So Rex Hudler and I, we had this poster at our in our home, and maybe you did too. It was it was it was a Vess Soda poster, life size, Hurricane Hudler. I did not have that, but yeah. that is oh man, that sounds amazing. So basically, it, it's Rex, you know. And for those that don't know, Rex Hudler, he played in like the I believe it was like ninety, ninety one, ninety two, like right around yep. there, and he was just known for you know hustling, hustling, hustling. Um, wasn't an amazing hitter, but definitely played the game you wished everyone played the game the way you wished everyone would play the game. Um, and and he he embraced it. So his nickname was Hurricane, and so the poster was a life size poster of him uh, standing there, but his uniform was dirty. And he told me the story, and I loved it. He and it, it's quirky and and awesome the whole thing. Like the photo shoot was, let's say it was at at at, at eleven a.m. Uh, he had his jersey, and he's like, "Well, I gotta get this thing dirty. I can't be if I'm gonna be in the photo." I gotta. So he's like, and "So he didn't like." So he's like, "What should I do?" So he drove. I guess it was near the ballpark. A simpler time. He drove to the ballpark, and they were like getting the field ready for the game. Uh-huh. And he goes, and there's a few guys watching. You know, the the, the maintenance guys, yeah, the yeah. groundskeepers. And so they're 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 moistening the field yeah. with the you know keep getting all the dirt ready. And... Yeah, it's 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 nine a.m., ten a.m., whatever it is. It's the morning. No one's in the yeah. stadium except those gentlemen. And Rex Hudler goes to third base, pretends there's a sacrifice fly, sprints home. <laughs> Slides yeah. in and gets dirty, and then he looks over. He's like, "Come on, where's the energy? Come on!" I just and everyone's like, "What is this guy doing?" It's, they didn't know. He's like this lunatic, you know. <laughs> and then he's like, "Oh, I gotta get, I gotta get my other side dirty because he got his backside because yeah. he slid." So he did it again. He dives head first, <laughs> just him, and he's given high fives. Yeah. And sure enough, they he, then I guess he gets in his car and drives to the photo shoot, and he's and he's wearing a real Cardinals jersey <laughs> with real Cardinal dirt, and he's like proud of that that's you know, amazing yeah. that attention to details fantastic yeah, it was cool it was that that's, that's that's hurricane hudler yeah and then you look at like an Eckstein type player sure. who's just not that um you know not one of those type players that you're like oh yeah this is the you know this is the premier type guy but yeah his hustle and being a yeah i mean just like his jump to get some of the balls that he did and just oh yeah just his enthusiasm for the game and love of the game, and yeah, it yeah. goes so far. When when you look when you talk about our, our fans in St. Louis, the, the the best fans in baseball that that can go both ways. You, on one hand, like what a compliment, the best fans in baseball, and then on the other hand, it's like it's almost used to like make fun of St. Louisans uh, for being so passionate and almost like over the top passionate. And but I think as long as we acknowledge it, we're fine in our town. And one thing that defines the best fans in baseball is this like like disproportionate love for the scrappy cardinal. And 
whether it's Rex Hudler, whether it's David Eckstein, whether it's Adron Chambers who who got that triple, whether it's Greg Garcia, whether it's any of the five foot ten second basemen from the the La Russa era, you know we we love them all because I guess there's something about someone that's your size that's out there playing and playing the game the way you want that that the fans just adore. And it, it's almost like this disproportionate love, like where they love the scrappy player more than they love like Matt Holiday, who's like too perfect. You know, he shows up, he just with the big forearms and the and the great swing. Oh, another yeah. double, another homer for Holiday, of course. Whereas, where like that's expected. Whereas the scrappy player, you know, if he's able to get a double, you're you're going nuts because it's unexpected. Yeah. Well, and almost with Holiday, when you looked at him. It's like, yeah, he's not having a, such a great year, but then you look at his numbers and they're great. Right. So it's just like he would, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was, was kind of weird where, he, yeah, he would get those hits. He was pretty consistent, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think he was at streaky. So maybe that's why it didn't seem like he was doing that. Great, right, right. It, it was more consistent. Yeah, yeah, and he wasn't flashy. He was just kind of, he just kind of did his thing and and you know, <laughs> hit two eighty and, and yeah. drove in a hundred runs or whatever it was. Uh, but yeah, you, you flip it. And the, the the Shane Robinsons, oh my God! I mean, I'll never forget when when Shane Robinson came back. I believe he was with Minnesota and like the standing ovation. I'm like, there's no way in any other city the Shane Robinson equivalent would even get a standing ovation, let alone one of of this loudness. Uh-huh. Placido Polanco, he's another one. Yeah, because he played all those positions. So oh was, sure, he was another that, that I put rank in there with uh, Jose Okendo. Yeah, so yeah he, he was cool. And Okendo's probably the epitome of, of this of this scrappy player. Like he doesn't have a position, so he plays every position type thing. And uh, and of course he, he played all nine one season, which is and, and I don't know. If, I think I was at that game where he pitched. Oh wow! Because he stuck a like, dude out. He stuck a dude out. Yeah, yeah. So it seems. I mean, that's ingrained in my memory somehow. And I, I don't know if I was there. Or I just like at this point. Yeah, my memory's blurred, and I just want wanted to be there, but. Wow, that sure. was pretty incredible. Yeah. And looking back, you know, I had uh, like Rex Hudler, that was one who I yeah. would get a bunch of his cards, even from other teams. And I, I John Tudor was another guy where I picked up, I had a bunch of his cards from the Pirates. And oh, yeah. It was uh, these cards where I could get them for next to nothing. Mm-hmm. But it was great. So I had this whole like page, one of the, the pages you could get back in the day with John Tudor. and it's awesome. Gary Carter was, I, I don't I don't know what enamored me with Gary Carter, but I mean, all-star a lot. And sure. Just, so it was, was kind of cool. I think collecting cards oh, for me yeah. allowed me to really kind of learn the game and the players. And I think it was, even though, of course, being in this city and the Cardinals having some great teams in the 80s, yeah. you know, of course, it's like, all right, that's my team. But uh, I think for me, it was kind of that love of baseball and having a better understanding of the game and just, oh, yeah. you know, the intricacies, intricacies of the game and just all those, like I said, nuances earlier and yeah. you know, who these different guys are, what their stories are. and it, it, You know, fantasy baseball, t- <clears throat> excuse me, fantasy baseball today kind of takes the um, role of baseball card collecting in, in this regard. It's an educational way to learn all the players. And when we were kids... And there were only certain amount of brands of cards. I mean, you knew like every player and what he looked like and what pose he made on his tops card and what pose he made on his Donruss card. And like I'll never forget, like I was at um, a couple years ago, I was covering a game in the clubhouse, and it was the Arizona Diamondbacks. 
and uh, I go, who, who, who's that guy? And uh, the writer, Nick Pocoro, the beat writer from Arizona, goes, oh, that's Mike Harkey. You probably remember him from baseball cards, just like the way he said it. <laughs> and it's like true, because like, I remember that face, uh-huh. and he was, I believe he pitched for the Cubs. And, uh, yeah, well, Mike Harkey, of course. And, uh, you know, I, I could probably name more players from 1987 than I can from 2017, uh-huh. if you will, just because of those, you know, w- wooden-framed yes. tops cards. And who was a future star? Who was a Don Russ Diamond King? It, it was a, it was a simple time and it was a special time and yeah, yeah I yeah. remember him from baseball cards and our mutual friend Stephen Walden yeah that's one of his favorite years for baseball cards the wooden frame yes and I yes. think one of his business cards he he made to look like the wooden frame no question he Stephen Walden for those that don't know is one of the coolest guys in St Louis because he had he puts his passion for St Louis sports and and in for art. Uh, he combines them, and you can you can see it in the brushstrokes, if you will. And he does some of the neatest things. He made a like when Rally Cat got popular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, snap of the fingers, he'd already done a Rally Cat. I mean, he he is all over it. And he's a smart guy as yeah. far as marketing and everything. And he you know he's from that background. He worked for a company called Merits for a number of years. So mm-hmm. he was, you know, he was into that. Just, yeah. just you know, he has a good mind for all those things. And then his eye and, and just over the past three years, I've watched his art mm-hmm. just really evolve. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. Look him up. If you guys don't know, Stephen Walden, uh, he's got great stuff. You can see it on the internet and he's all over town. He's at the pottery barn at front Plaza Frontenac every Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. He's painting there and he'll be here on uh we'll have a podcast, a, a baseball themed podcast, a nice. few episodes from, from this one that uh steven will be on so i think he's probably the been on the most because we've had a couple themed episodes and then he had his own episode talking about his art that's awesome and he's a funny dude too he came over to the house we had, we had a party and i just i, did, I mean we had, had a, we had had a couple diet cokes and, and i can't remember everything but i just remember <laughs> laughing and laughing and laughing at things that steven said he's basically the greatest human i think <laughs> right that's what on, i'd agree with that yeah he's a good we, dude yeah, so yeah him. Uh, what else? So yeah, baseball cards. And I know in the, like the early days of fantasy baseball, it was, um, when I started it, I think it was like 93. Okay. And, uh, this buddy of mine, I don't even know how we scored or there was some <laughs> formula, but you had to do everything by hand. Uh-huh. And, uh, so it took forever. And so now it's just so much easier. And the, some of these leagues are just insane. Yeah. But I mean, that, really th- evolved. Those were the fun days though. Like I remember... Actually, my dad, the aforementioned Jer Hockman, he he ran our fantasy baseball league on you know some IBM computer we had, and uh, you know compiled the stats. He he was kind of ahead of his time. I, I just remember going. I guess it was like Tuesdays and Wednesdays. On Tuesdays, USA Today printed every yes. National League team yes, statistics. Yes. Wednesday is American, whatever it was. And I just remember like going to Schnooks and like putting in those fifty cents and pulling that thing out, and oh my God, there it is inside this newspaper. I can find out what the batting average is for Jesse Barfield or whoever it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Billy Ripken, right, right, <laughs> whoever it was. We, yeah. Is that your fingertips? So now looking at you know as a writer, do you have any? The last podcast with uh, Matt Hodell, our couple podcasts ago, we talked about he talked about rituals when creating art. He's a tattoo artist. Oh, and, cool! And you know, then he draws as well. And he was talking about different rituals. Do you have any rituals when you when you write, or is it just so fast paced after the game that uh, that you just like jump into it? That's a great question because uh, I do have rituals, um, especially like for instance today we're doing this on on a Monday where uh, I wasn't writing off of a live game. 
So I had done interviews uh, about a Missouri basketball player, Jordan Barnett, played at CBC, is now having a good year for Mizzou. So I had done the interviews. So really I had the afternoon. Uh, I went to Blues practice in the morning, did a little thing on them, but then the afternoon was Jordan Barnett. So my point is I wasn't on deadline, you know. Uh, I mean, I was, but I wasn't like I didn't have a half of an hour. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So uh, one thing I always, I always do is procrastinate. The next thing I always <laughs> do is um, I, I like to – read something awesome before I write. I, I, I guess it just pumps me up the way that maybe, I, I don't know what the equivalent would be. Like, I mean, the idea of like listening to like music to pump you up to mm-hmm. do something. Yeah. But like for me, like if I read, if I go to Sports Illustrated's website, si.com slash vault and read the old story about triples and I'm reading it and I'm loving the way this sentence is going and I'm so enamored by, by that usage and that, that, metaphor and all of a sudden like I want to write I want to write oh I have the opportunity to write the Jordan Barnett story nice. next thing you know I'm I'm writing I'm not saying it's Sports Illustrated level but I'm saying I'm fired up about the craft and then um, the other thing I do is I twirl my hair incessantly and it is a peculiar I guess uh, habit but it's also fun because my hair is longer and I can, I can make all sorts of shit. I'm almost like a, a balloon artist who can like, Oh, you want a, you want a horse? You know, here's a horse. Here's a pig. And, uh, my wife loves, it. I'll do like a unicorn or some one time I was able to make like a, like a loop. And, uh, I made like a heart out of my hair. It was, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not an artist like a Stephen Walden, but in a way I'm, I'm, I'm an artist of uh, hair. No, I don't know what I'm talking about, but that, that is a, that is an and example. So you do some hair art and then that'll get you focused on your writing. After right. You've read. Nice. Yeah. My love, like Angela, she'll come in like, you're going to pull all your hair. Out. I'm like, do you see how much hair? Like, I basically look like Mr. Cotter. I have so much <laughs> hair on my head. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to rip all of it out while I'm writing the Jordan Barnett column. That's a good. That's an amazing <laughs> ritual there. Yeah, yeah. That's a good question. Great, great question. Oh, there. Thank like you. That. Yeah, Matt. Matt Hodell inspired that. So thank you, Matt. What was uh, his, if I may, real quick? Uh, you know, he didn't uh, specify any yeah. specific rituals. He was just talking about having rituals gotcha. and how that gets you in that space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we're all over the place on that. It was, yeah, that was, was a lot of fun as well. Awesome. Um, I'm gonna look that one up. I can't. Yeah, wait. please do. And then there's another uh, Tony Rehagen. Oh he, my man! I know, know Tony. T- yeah, oh, not not really well. Like, I, I made it sound like 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 I'm I'm trying to claim Tony. Uh, yeah. He is awesome. He is um, great. That Leo Mazzoni. I don't know if you've read that story. I think it was like in the Atlanta or something yeah. like that. Great story. Yeah. Oh, so he God. was one of the guys I looked up to at University of Missouri. Uh, oh, uh, that's right. He yeah, is yeah. Alum. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. About that. So I guess what I was trying to say, like, I'm trying to like claim him, but I'm sure he's like I don't know about that Hawkman guy. But uh, I think Tony's awesome. And and uh, yeah, yeah. So what were you gonna say about Tony? I'm sorry. It's Liam Mazzoni article and uh-huh. just yeah, you know his work already. Yeah. But yeah, so he he was uh he sat in that seat at oh, one cool. point and we ch- we chatted about some different things and yeah, Talented. that was that was fun as well. Yeah, yeah, he's great. I love I mean, at the end of the day, like I just and I'm, I sense you the same way. If there's somebody that's passionate about something, like that is infectious. And that's and, a theme. That's why I decided to do this podcast because cool. it's just having that passion you know after after you leave here i'll go work on some other things and i I probably won't put demo reels together tonight but i have different things to get done yeah so it's nice to take this energy from from this sure and then you know be able to put that into a couple more hours of work tonight and midnight oil a little bit so yeah it's yeah i'm i'm jazzed about this you know i i enjoy this format and Mm -hmm. just talking with somebody and sure you know sometimes i have uh, you know more preparation than other times yeah and so but it's just good you know i have a list of things we won't even get to (laughs) but that's actually great because we, you know, we've just 
been talking for you know close to an hour and it's has still, it really it's been still, an hour? It's still exciting yeah oh yeah it does it, not seem like it. it's still exciting so yeah to me it's like hey, okay we have something here and then when i go back and listen right it's just i know if if i've i've already been through the conversation and when i'm when I'm in post-production and everything, if I'm listening like, okay, this is, I kind of like this. I'm enjoying this. And I know for, for me, there's something special. I like it. This is fun. Now, speaking of, I mean, you, you have a podcast as well. Tell us, uh, you know, what's that? It's great name. Thank you. Yes. Hosted ravioli, (laughs) hosted ravioli. It is, it is a new passion project of mine. Basically anything I refer to as a passion project is something that, uh, I'm not going to make any money off of. It seems like that's (laughs) all my projects. (laughs) (laughs) I got to get some non-passion. Right, 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 right. Um, so basically, at the Post Dispatch, they they do all these um, podcasts, and I was involved with a, a baseball one called the Best Podcast in Baseball, and and all of a sudden I'm like, wait, I can do one on my own. Why don't I? And I I just again I didn't want to do something that's already been done, and it's funny. Uh, so one of my favorite dudes in town is Tim McKernan, and he's got a St. Louis themed podcast, but he interviews actual important people. So my idea was to do a St. Louis themed podcast, but interview like C minus list celebrities that we remember from our childhood. So I have a shot at this. Yeah. Oh, but I wasn't in the childhood. You were in the childhood. Uh, but maybe somebody else's childhood one day. I can That's get right. There. <laughs> yeah. Like, like if, if hopefully I have a son or daughter, someday, yeah. they, they, he or she will have a podcast. Uh, St. Maybe, maybe, maybe they'll just carry the torch of hosted <laughs> ravioli you and go. you can be on. All right. Sounds but, good. But we had Becky, the uh, queen of carpets on and uh, Ken Wilson, the old blues oh, broadcaster. Heck yeah. Oh, right baby. Yeah. <laughs> We interviewed him. Uh, that one will come out this week. And, okay, cool. Uh, and we just have. And if you have ever have any suggestions, or any of your listeners have suggestions, uh, at hosted ravioli, okay. at hosted ravioli on Twitter, because I mean the whole point is like to entertain people. So yeah. if you have suggestions, like uh, oh, I like, will definitely have some suggestions. Yeah. I mean Schweig Engel. I wonder yeah. if those guys are still around. Exactly. That's the Boatman's guy is another one that, oh, that yeah. I hear about. And Guy Phillips from DB's Delight, and uh-huh. we could do this all day. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. Yeah, hosted ravioli. Hosted ravioli, very cool. So the post is doing that right on. Yeah, I listened to the Becky Queen of Carpet earlier. And <laughs> we had her for uh, my final year when I was at Webster University for a media award show. Come on, she was one of our presenters. Really? Uh, yeah, one of the. I think it was this guy Aaron Crozier, this friend of mine. It was. Uh, yeah, he was really stoked about having Becky, and she sure. was great. She was cool. Yeah, she was a lot of fun. Really, I, really cool person. I, I, I should have done better research heading into it, though. I was really excited. I was like, "So, whatever happened to Wanda, the Princess of Tile?" And she <laughs> goes, "She's dead." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Uh, I kind of thought of that, too. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, so anyway, tell me more about your crown. Uh, yeah. It was a bad transition. I felt bad. Sorry, Becky. Oh, no worries. We'll get to, uh, you know, we'll wrap it up with a few serious questions. Okay. Uh, you know, sometimes I like to go with that philosophical path and all that. Sure. It's been, been a blast talking baseball, though. Yeah. But uh, what is, uh, you know, what is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I ever received. Wow, I'm I'm pausing not not because I'm trying to dodge the question. I just, I just really want to get it right. You sure, know? yeah, um, take your time, man. Uh, it could be you know related to career, or just in life. Yeah, um, I mean, I I like this one that that I I, I got, um, and and I can't really remember who said it, but I remember it coming out of college. But the idea of of, of uh, never settling, it's so easy to write a sentence the first sentence and be like, Oh, that's, that's pretty good. And just settling on it. And even like the most recent thing in my head is this Jordan Barnett column. 
I mean, Jordan Barnett, just a guy on Mizzou, pretty good player, whatever. Like, like this column's going to come and go, right? It's going to be in the newspaper tomorrow, and a few people will read it, and they'll read it on the website, and then the next day comes, and the column's gone. It's not part mm-hmm. of our lives anymore. But I approach this thing like like it was going on my tombstone or something. And I didn't, the whole point was I never, I don't want to settle. And I cannot tell you how many, they call it lead is like the first, the opening to a column, a lead. I had double digit leads written for this Jordan Barnett thing. And any one of them I probably could have used and turned in. And if you read it tomorrow on the website, you'd be like, ah, it's not bad, it's not bad, it's not bad. But I was like, but I, you know, it's that incessant, mm-hmm. voracious, idiotic hunger of mine to write it as best as I possibly can, not, in other words, not settling, that drove me. I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm, I'm, you know, Ernest Hemingway or anything, but the idea was like, if I take this column seriously and write it as best I possibly can, and then take the next one as seriously and write mm-hmm. as best I can, then my level of work will hopefully be at a level that I can be proud of. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, yeah. and you'll never stumble upon a dud. You'll never uh, that I wrote. You know that that uh, you know you might not agree with it or whatever, but you know I'm signing. But you know, yeah, you know you left it all on the on yeah, the page. You on left the page. it all on the page. Yeah. So never settle. Yeah. Would be the answer. And looking at what, what do you do for fun? Because I know with I mean the baseball season is just right. so long. Do you, do you travel with the team as well? I go. Uh, no, I I go to spring training. I'll, uh-huh. I'll go to the playoffs if they if I ever get back to the playoffs. Um, but I, I I don't. I only go to the home games, which is nice. Yeah. Because uh, Derek Gould and uh, Rick Humble, the beat writers. Oh, yeah, yeah. I used to have that job in Denver for the Denver Nuggets, and you're on the road constantly. Yeah. It's so much fun, but you're away from your family yeah, and friends. Yeah. Um, free time. I I um. Gosh, embarrassingly, I, I spend a lot of it on Twitter. Um, but one one thing I, I like to do, my favorite show is This Is Us. I don't know if you've been watching that. On I have not. I'm familiar with it, but I haven't started watching it. Give uh, it a Bill shot. Bill Cott was in it. He played the mailman. Yeah. Bill Cott from this area. Yeah. Another, another uh, great St. Louis. Of yeah, course, yeah. Some cool things out in L.A. And he was in the scene with Sterling K. Brown, the star of the show, who went oh, to MICDS and is from right, St. Louis. Yeah. So that was a fun St. Louis moment. Um, I love that show, and my wife loves that show. And that was a cool one to watch. This is just completely cheesy, but the show began right as our relationship started getting going, you know, in the fall of 2016. So... And it's a story, you know, it's a love story. There's a lot of love involved in it. So it was just really n- neat to watch the husband and the wife in there, um, Mandy Moore and uh, Milo. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He's an amazing actor. And uh, watch their dynamic, mm-hmm. their relationship. And and I was, we were like, wow, this is, you know, this is, this, that's them, but maybe this could be us too. This is us, could be us. And mm-hmm. uh, it was a special thing. So I love that show. And um, I run on the treadmill occasionally. And but I don't do that as often as I should because I sweat so much that I embarrass myself <laughs> in public to the point where my buddy Blair Melman came up to me at the gym afterwards and said, oh, did you just go for a swim? I said, no, I was running on the treadmill and I was so drenched in sweat and he wasn't being funny or maybe he was, but either way. Yeah, my friend Jim Usley, who is another alum of this uh, podcast, uh-huh. is like this, to, I don't even know the word, but he is a sweater like this. <laughs> It's just yeah. He was he was in a, a short movie called The Bloodfest Club. So he does some acting. He does okay. a lot of writing. And, yeah. And, and I was shooting behind the scenes, and he was drenched. And he commented on that many times. Oh so, yeah. So I like those. I like the little little 
points and anecdotes when I can relate it to another friend. Yeah. Else I talk well, to. tell him if he ever needs to, you know, if he ever wants to just vent yeah, to someone. Who, a support group. Yeah. Sweaters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and speaking of, so talking about This Is Us, but you've also, um, you had a role in a movie. Tell us oh about Angela's movie. Can't, yeah. Can't forget that. So my wife, Angela LaRocca Hockman, is amazing. And she and her brother basically had this idea. I mean, she, she does, you know, movies and commercials and stuff in St. Louis um, as, as her, you know, on the side from a real job and she loves it, but she wanted to make one of her own. So they raised the money and she directed it and wrote it. And it was funny because when we first started dating, she was just starting to cast the movie and I'm a ridiculous human. And she was telling me about the character, cousin Anthony, who was like <laughs> this, you know, basically stuck in the year 2000 bro, type guy uh-huh. who thinks he's cool with the ladies but really is just the biggest dork in the United States yeah. and I was like I can play this role I can do this nice. so we would be on dates and she would be telling me about cousin Anthony and I would start reading the menu as if I was him you know mispronouncing things like Merlot you want some of this Merlot I'll show you <laughs> I love Merlot you know the dumb but it was just doing doing yeah. that and and she like for some reason I, I, I fooled her into thinking I could act and she would tell her brother, like, I think I found the goofy guy to play Cousin Anthony. Sure enough, uh, I got the part. It's a small part in the movie. I'm not a real actor, obviously, but I am a professional goofball. And I was able to Goes do... Goes a long way. Thank you, yes. And uh, and I was able to uh, be in a few scenes of an actual movie. I, I got an IMDb page and there was a premiere and, and it was a really special experience to be yeah. a, a small part of Angela's huge project. Definitely. Cool. Last question. We'll, we'll go a serious one. But oh, first, of, where can and where can they find that project? Is it out there? Oh on yes. The or um, yeah. Twitter. It's called Must Fool Everyone. Must Fool Everyone. Just put it into YouTube. It's on there. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's twenty eight minutes. It's just a fun little comedy. Must fool everyone. All right. And I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes oh, as thanks, well, man. so then everybody can check that out. And then uh, you know we'll talk afterwards and whatever else we can put in there, so they can follow you. Uh, but last question. Okay. So so growing up when you were a kid, you know what was your uh, I guess what was your definition of success, or what what did you look at as being successful when you were a kid? Man, that's a fantastic question because. I don't know if I have the right answer. I mean, I guess there would be different forms of it. I mean, you look at, I mean, clearly and just like maybe naively, you look and say, oh, who's got the biggest house? You know, oh, that, I mean, I remember being enamored. Like my, my buddy growing up uh, in Clayton had a, had a third level to his home that they didn't even use. It was just like literally multiple bedrooms yeah. and some bathroom, but it was such a big house that they literally didn't even use it. I'm like, wow, like that is, that's some success. And uh-huh. you can have a home that has an extra home up there. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, clearly as I got older, you know, you find out that, that being rich can, can mean multiple things, uh, you know, rich with money, of course, which we all desire, uh-huh. but I mean, rich with integrity and, and, and rich with happiness. And I remember saying in my vows to Angela, like the secret to life is, is fun. Um, you know, if you got one life to live, like, how can I gather, procure as much fun as possible? And, you know, that, that comes from smiles. That comes from shared experiences. And obviously you see where this is going, like sharing it with someone you love. So maybe growing up, you, you look at a star athlete or a star musician or actor 
or even and honestly like maybe somebody who has a multitude of ladies in his life you know if you're if you're a straight guy and you're looking at um, Brad Pitt or whomever just the first actor that came to mind you're like wow he could get anybody he wants like that's some success you know that that guy's mm-hmm. living life yeah. but then you realize as you get older like like okay that could be fun in its own regard but there's nothing that matches being on the couch with the one you love doing nothing you know and just kind of melding bodies you know and i'm not even i'm not being sexual i'm just being like like literally yeah, just hold, yeah. holding the person just that connection yeah that connection with another human being that really deep connection yeah it's fantastic i mean that that i mean if you can get that it doesn't matter if you make a small amount of money or a lot of money you're, you're still rich in a very important regard but I don't know if I, I mean, I had great parents growing up. I admired them growing up, but I don't know if I truly got it, understood it uh, until I became an adult and even into my thirties. Yeah. And I think we do. And I kind of change that question around, like, what's your definition now? How has that changed since sure. a younger time? But I just knew from the article of that St. Louis magazine article that you were like baseball and it seemed oh, like yeah. just reading that article that like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. I mean, which is, which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, from a, like for me, like the idea that I always wanted in life was to be a sports voice of a city, you know, and, and, and like, I, like in my profession of sports writing, few things are more enamored than the guy or girl who writes something and everybody reads or who says something and everybody hears. I mean, that's pretty cool. And like, clearly as I got older from the eighties and nineties into today, the internet's changed everything. It used to be king of the sports page. You open that thing up and everybody in town reads that. Mm-hmm. Now, clearly not everybody reads the post dispatch itself or even on the website. There's so many other voices out yeah, there. Yeah. And it, that comes back to a lot of stuff we talked about in this podcast where it's like, how do you create your voice? How mm-hmm. do you find your voice? Cause the whole point, and that's another a- aspect of success is having people pay attention to you. How can you have people pay attention to you and playing it safe often doesn't get that. Sometimes it's, it's a great quote. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah good. Cause I like to post quotes as well. So oh, Man, nice. this is, this is a lot of fun. I, I, I enjoy appreciate this. you taking the time. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's good to talk baseball and just life. And so yeah, I yeah. can't thank you enough. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Is it right? That's what you Take me.